Welcome to the Sports and Torts Podcast, your go-to podcast for entertaining conversations on sports, law, and business. This podcast is powered by the J. Stein Law Firm, a personal injury law firm in Atlanta, Georgia. And now, here is your host, Joshua Stein. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Sports and Torts Party, and we are so very glad to be with you all here today. Thank you for listening wherever it is that you have tuned in. We have a legal power couple with us today in the house. Um, I've been in two of their offices already today, Dalton this morning and now in Woodstock. We have Sarah Cornejo from Sarah Cornejo Law. She works on personal injury cases and does criminal defense work. And her husband, Alex, from Cornejo Law Firm, who handles uh, immigration work. And as he told me this morning, he is Sarah's driver for when she has to go to court. So I don't know what's the most important position you have, but you told me that. Anyway, guys, um, this is great. We've known each other for a while, so it's a good opportunity to get down and, and spend some time together. So uh, so welcome. How are we doing today? Doing great. We're doing great. Happy to be here. You know, I, I only have one microphone. I found when, when there's three people through microphones, there can be some different feedback problems. But I asked the two of you guys, since you're married, you got no problem sharing a microphone, right? Um... No. No. <laughs> you have to look, look at each other. Got to get nice and close sometimes. Um, you know, I work, my, my wife works uh, for my law firm as well. I don't know if y'all knew that. No, um, I didn't know she, that. She's not a lawyer, but she does, her title is operations manager, and she handles a lot of the, the big picture stuff. People always ask me, like, how do you work with your wife? Like, how does that work? But uh, we make it work. Y'all don't work together in the same firm, but y'all do do work together. So how's that going? I think it's great. Um, we refer each other's cases all the time. It's nice to have someone to bounce ideas off of, um, especially you know when we're talking about you know problem clients or issues that come up in a case, um, and we're trying to troubleshoot something. So it's really nice to have a sounding board and a referral source that doesn't want a cut of the fees. <laughs> <laughs> all is up the same place, right? Yeah, right. It, it, it has definitely broadened my horizons because it, it, it forces me to, to look at the big picture and see the possibility of, of other areas of the law where we can we can help uh, our people, you know? So. And y'all got a couple of beautiful, precious little babies, one-year-old and three-year-old, right? So life is busy. It's very busy. It's very chaotic at our house these days. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, Sarah, what, I mean, we'll just kind of jump into some of the stuff we talked about. I mean, so, you know, working full time, running a law firm, two small babies, like how do you how do you manage all of it? I rely on my staff a lot and I have learned how to delegate, delegate, delegate. So I've learned rather than doing that load of laundry, I can have a personal assistant that does that for me and I can review a demand in that. 30 minutes and make a lot more money and it's a lot more profitable. So I've learned how to undomesticate myself and focus on the quality time with my children versus trying to do it all. It's just not possible. Yeah, it, it definitely took some adjusting to, to um, come up with the conclusion that you need, you need these people in your life right. <laughs> to make right. it easier and more bearable and and it's, it's definitely, you know, it's, it's, it's the best of both, both worlds because we have the opportunity of, of having, you know, people helping us with, with work, with our kids, you know, and, and it makes us more productive, you know, it's a win-win. That's great. So you guys met in law school, is that right? We did. Yeah. Let's, hear, let's hear the story, you two lovebirds. I have my, 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 <laughs> my version. You guys start with yours. <laughs> I mean, we, we met, um, you know, Alex 
was the one that pursued me and asked me out. He thinks that I was crazy about him initially, but I, I don't remember that way. I needed to feel like that to ask her out, right? To, to, mm -hmm. to gather the confidence, but, but yeah, right. I did ask her out. But the first time we actually met, I had a cold, so he wanted to shake my hand, and I'm like, oh, I have a cold, like you probably don't wanna shake my hand, and he was so offended. When really I was just trying to be polite, <laughs> and he like held that grudge for so long. <laughs> Too good. That's too good. Now, Alex, you're from Peru originally, right? Yes. So talk, talk to me about how you got over to the States, ended up in law school, and what you're doing today. Oh, God. Um, well, I, I came to the U.S. In, on December of 1999. I had gone to law school for four years, and uh, for X, Y, Z reasons, you know, I mean, I couldn't finish law school. I moved over here, and... Uh, they told me that if you wanted to be an attorney, you need to start, start from scratch. So, so four that's years law in Peru? In Peru, yes. Okay. Is that a post-college? Um, Correct. Yes. Okay. I, I, did, uh, uh, I was actually in law school for uh, two and a half years, one and a half years of general studies. Um, I was two years away from getting my law degree, but you know, moved here and uh, went back to school. Literally started from, from scratch. I did my seven years here in the U.S., and, uh, you know, it went by so quickly. So when all of us bitch and complain about, you know, four years undergrad, three years law school, you're like, wait a second, guys, you don't know nothing because you were four years, yes. then four years, and then At three years. At that time, it, it felt like a really bad idea to start from the beginning. But I, I feel like I made the right decision. It, it gave me, it gave me the, the opportunity to not only improve my English, but also... Uh, it gave me the opportunity to 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 learn from from both systems, you know, and and I, you know, I think I think it was a great decision that I did. You were telling me that your 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 family um, ran restaurants in Peru. Is that yes, right? Yes, my my parents. Uh, are, uh, my father's a chemical engineer. My mom is a real estate uh, agent. She would like buy lease properties. So that's that's what they did. And you were working at a young age. They were kind of teaching you the the work ethic that I think is led you today to do a lot of what you're doing is that is that right yes i remember being 12 years old and going to work you know for either one of the restaurants or or, or leasing homes i mean we we're always working we we're always always we that was that was a very important part of of our lives not just for me but for my my four siblings it was it was very important yeah and then what led you to law school sarah so i actually ended up um doing a mock trial competition in undergrad and joined the mock trial team. And it was just something that I found that I really enjoyed and was actually good at. And the rest was history. I initially wanted to be a journalist. So it was just weird how that happened. And then graduating law school, did y'all both immediately open up law firms, work somewhere else for a minute? I know you got the entrepreneurial spirit in your blood. So what was the path to get where you are today? While I was going to law school, I, I was working for a, for a law firm, and right out of law, law school, I opened my firm. I, I couldn't wait. I just wanted to do, I always knew I wanted to do immigration. As an immigrant, I mean, it, it, was, it was something, I, I was always getting phone calls, even before going to law school, you know, with people, you know, questions about, you know, how do you adjust your status? How do you go from, from being a student to being an uh, entrepreneur, you know? So it, it was very, very organic. So immigration, is that the largest percent of the practice area that you, cases you handle? I probably handle, yeah, that is probably 90% of my, my cases. Okay. So you're the first person on the podcast that does that kind of work. So awesome to have you here and to educate 
us and everybody listening about what what all that entails. I mean, immigration is a huge topping, to, talking point on so many different levels. But um, give an idea of kind of your average case or your typical case, how the client comes to you and what you know what you're helping them with. Sure, it's it's either application based. We have either U.S. citizens or green card holders trying to uh, adjust status for immediate relatives, either uh, through petitions, uh, marriage. Uh, we have VAWA, U visas. Uh, those are what I call the, the easy cases with USCIS. Then we have the other cases in front of immigration court where you actually have to get people out of detention, right? I mean, these are people facing deportation, harsh consequences, sometimes for something as um, simple as driving without a license, right? Um, and those are the cases that, that, I, that I handle uh, most of the times, you know, it's not, it's not usually a phone call of someone, hey, you know, I, I, I want to bring my fiance from Colombia or, or, or Brazil, you know, it's usually my father was picked up by ICE, he's at uh, Stewart Detention Center, please help me, he needs to be out. And yeah, that's, that's my, my day, every day. You, you said immigration court, what does that mean? Is there a, a specific division that handles these types of matters? Yes, uh, there. Uh, depending on on where uh, uh, venue is proper, jurisdiction is either. Uh, if it's a case in Tennessee, it would be Memphis. If it's uh, in Georgia, it's Atlanta. Ted Turner, uh, Immigration Court. Uh, it, it depends. They're they're basically a, a, an entity under the Department of Justice. Um, as you know, immigration is federal law, so you know I can practice uh, immigration law in fifty states. So that gives me visa. I can go. I mean, I can meet today in, in, in Atlanta, tomorrow I'm in New York or Las Vegas, you know, all of those. And in a minute, I do want to talk about your, your national reach, because that is something that's very impressive about you. Um, but before we get there, I want to do a little bit more about, you know, the, the day-to-day cases, because, you know, the case that Sarah and I handled the civil cases, it's, it's money that we're fighting over. People's liberty isn't at stake. The criminal cases you handle, it is. We'll talk about that separately. But the civil cases, it's about money. Um, but when you get a call from somebody that's in detention, that's facing deportation, that's a big, big deal, right? I yes. Mean, that's, what, 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 is, what could be more important to somebody than being able to stay where they're at? Absolutely. I call it my million dollar case, right? <laughs> With no, you, you don't really get a million dollars. <laughs> right. But this is it's, this is the, it. It's the import of a million dollars. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and let's let's face it, right? There there is no glory in in, in this in this area when you're in this in this scenario because you you're either gonna get this person released, you know, you're gonna present a good case before the judge and and persuade him that this person deserves to be released and 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 make a, a legitimate attempt to adjust the status or, or not. So you have a lot of uh, a lot of happy clients, but you know there are some some of them where you know under discretion, you know judges decide that you know they're gonna be sent back. There's there's nothing you can do. So what is the typical argument that you make in favor of your clients? Like what is the what are the talking points and the issues that judges can? Well, there there are many factors that are going to play, but the the length of time spent in this country, your criminal record. Uh, ties with a community, whether you're a fly risk. I mean, you have to be very creative with, with this. Okay, there's not a list, a comprehensive list of of of, uh, of factors, but you know, you have to be able to present, you know, the best argument for someone to to remain in this country, right? Telling the judge, this is a good person. They're gainfully employed. They're not breaking the law. They're participating in the community. Absolutely, and absolutely. That's, and that, as opposed to somebody that doesn't work and is committing crimes, that's probably a much harder, tougher sell. Absolutely, absolutely. And judges, there is some of the 
<laughs> they're very intelligent people. They know exactly when someone is gainfully employed, when someone is providing for their family. I mean, the question of whether or not you're authorized to work never is never addressed. It's, it's are you working? Are you providing for your family? Are you a danger to a community? Are you stealing? Are you doing bad stuff? You know, if, if you can get uh, affidavits from, from, from different people, employers, I mean, that will strengthen your case. What's the life cycle of... Of a, of a, of a, we'll call it a case. Like you get the call at night, you know, so-and-so is, is, what's the next steps and how long is it before you get in front of a judge and before a judge makes a decision? Well, if if we're referring specifically to, for example, uh, bond hearings, right? I mean, once I file my, my motion, the government has up to 14 days to give me a day for that hearing that usually happens within 48 hours, sometimes the same day. They, they want to they uh, dispose of these cases quickly. Um, and the judge will make a decision right away. I mean, it's it, it's not very long. So it's, it's pretty quick. quick. It's, yeah. it's very That's quick. That's good. And I, and I know you do some some what's called business immigration as well, right? Correct. So explain for people listening, and for me too, frankly, like the differences. Well, business immigration is more based on um, your your credentials, right? And and how much money you can you can bring into this country, right? The logic behind business immigration is. What are you bringing into the U.S. that other U.S. workers don't have? I mean, are you bringing knowledge, know-how, money, right? Are you investing in areas that where no one want, wants to invest? Are you creating jobs that is going to generate tax revenue for the, for the city or, or the county? Those are some of the questions that come into play. But um, it's, it usually requires either a lot of money to invest or someone with with uh, a lot of skills, you know, not necessarily just a master's degree, but you know, inter- someone who is internationally, you know, recognized, you know, and who can make a meaningful contribution to this country. So the idea would be somebody coming from insert out of country, uh, country out of, out of the U.S. They've got this idea, this plan, this business, this job that's going to either create more jobs or in- inject something into the economy. And it's says, do you do like an application to a judge to get a visa or some sort of No, it's actually, it, no, that's a great question. It's actually, you don't even go before the judge. It's, it's through USCIS and it's, it's a straight shot. Um, you don't need to uh, apply for any labor certification or have a job offer from an employer. I mean, if you have the credentials or the money and you have something that, that uh, the U.S. doesn't have, I mean, it's as simple as a 60-day process. You get your green card, period. It's, it's that simple. And are, are the, the U.S. agents err on the side of providing these green cards and these visas it's, to give people the opportunity? That's a great question. It is happening more and more. And I think that is a reflection of, of our economy right now. There's a this huge, huge competition with China and other countries. And there's a, there's a fight to, to recruit this, this talent and, this, and money. Now we don't get political on this, on this podcast at all, but you probably see some some changes based on the administration in the White House. Yes, absolutely. With with Trump, it was it was very clear to exclude you know foreigners, you know, protect American jobs. You know, Biden is um, unfortunately there's no direction, so it's it's a lot easier uh, to bring people. Um, I see that uh, 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 the concept of uh, prosecutorial discretion was never uh, used. Now, this is something that, that uh, government attorneys are even suggesting, you know, on cases because they really don't know what to do with uh, some cases. What did you say? I missed that. The, the concept of what? Uh, Prosecutorial discretion. So in other words, someone who who has been here for, for five, seven, ten years, you know, who is facing deportation, but who has some equities, right? I'm gainfully employed. I have kids that were born in this country. Mm-hmm. You know, the government will 
not necessarily give them uh, citizenship or a green card, but they will say, we're not going to prosecute you. We're just going to leave you alone just as long as you don't commit any crimes. Gotcha. You, gotta, you get to stay in this country. Gotcha. And then if they do commit a crime or do something bad, are they some sort of a watch list? I know that's a bad word, but are they kind of being viewed to make sure they don't do Yes, yes. It usually requires you to check in with ICE, which I think is, is a great idea. Uh, and if you make a mistake, I mean, look, if, if you're a bad apple, you need to be here. You don't need to be here. And what about, the, what about student visas? We hear about that, people coming over from other countries to get education and then applying to stay or going back. How does that all work? It is, a student visa is, is uh, it's, it originates from, from your country, right? I mean, Venezuela, Peru, Brazil, you know, it's very easy to change categories from a student visa, which is an F1 to, a, for example, a visitor, B1, B2, or an you want to be an entrepreneur, you can do an E2. It's, it's, um, it's very easy to change that category, but you have to take into account that you only have a limited amount of time to stay in this country and to, to do what you're, you're tell the government you're gonna do, right? So you have to, it's, it's very tricky. Because what, are the, what are the timetables usually? Six months for, for uh, visitors and tourist visa. Uh, for a student, it's one year, you're, you get to renew it every year, but you have, to, uh, you have to be able to prove that you have the funds to go to school and you get charged uh, as an international student, which is a pretty penny. And then how about athletes? Because we see athletes, you know, golf, tennis, whatever. How does that work? That is a special visa that if you can, if you can show exceptional skills or ability, that's the, the, e, the E2, uh, B1, then you are able to get your green card right away. No issues, no questions asked. Interesting. So exceptional abilities as defined by who? Is there like someone's like, okay, is this person good enough at this particular that's, skill? That's a great question. This, this is where, where the, the immigration attorney has to get creative, you know, where you have to show, look, you know, this such and such participated in this event and he won this. I mean, it's, it's you know, the, what I call the, the kitchen sink approach. You have to give the government everything. Sarah, it's, you're nodding your head. Um, it's almost like you putting a closing argument together for a jury, making your case as to why you should you should win on these issues. And, and you're putting together um, this this person plays this sport. They're ranked here. They did this in this tournament. They've had this training. They are a top class athlete. So it's kind of I mean, I can see the kind of parallels. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's def definitely there's a lot of persuasive writing and arguments that you have to make in all areas of the law and immigration is no different. And we've definitely seen the intersection of criminal cases, personal injury cases, and their immigration cases. We have clients that walk through the door and they have needs in all three areas. You, you are a, you're better at hosting this podcast than I am because that was kind of the direction I wanted to go, which is, it seems like a really natural fit for all those areas. So so you already answered the question. There are clients that have needs in all three areas. You're like, yeah, we got you. Right. And I think that's kind of what, you know, us working together and referring each other cases, it's been so helpful to each other's firms, but also to the client because they feel like a part of the family. They come to the Cornejos and, you know, husband handles immigration, the wife handles personal injury and the criminal stuff. Um, an example of what we see is someone's been injured in a car accident, but they're calling us because they received a ticket for driving without a license. And they think, oh, 
I didn't cause the accident, but I got a citation, so I can't file a personal injury claim. So that's where intake is so important in us analyzing every case that comes in, saying, wait a minute, you weren't at fault. You just got a ticket for driving without a license. You're entitled to make a claim. You have rights. And they get scared, and they just need help. So true. And and, and we spent the morning talking about that issue, right, Alex? I mean, um, you have the Cornejo Hour on the radio station of Dalton, which, by the way, bravo. I love it. I love everything about it. So um, I don't want to shortchange you, Sarah, but since we since we're talking mm-hmm. about about kind of that issue, um, me and you met this morning at a Dalton radio station, and we did thirty minutes on the Conejo Hour mm-hmm. um, talking about that very thing, which is we were you know the largely Hispanic uh, audience and some of the challenges that they internally thought that they would face with filing civil claims and trying to educate them as to why. No, you still have a case. You have the rights of anybody else and you need to pursue a case. Um, but let's talk about that radio show. A couple of years you've been doing it. Kind of what's the setup and and, and what do you talk about? Well, I, I mainly focus on... on um, we, we get a lot of calls from, from people around Dalton, right? So uh, during the week, you know, I... I I look at those messages, you know, and to me, it's a reflection of our community's concerns. So I, I talk about that, right? A concern that is always there is, you know, I was just, I retained this guy who told me he was an attorney, but he's not, you know, he was a notario, you know, in my case, I'm, I'm facing now deportation. What do I do? I mean, he handled my, my car accident and my, and, and my green card request. I mean, what do I do here? You know, so I, I'm always uh, encouraging people to always seek uh, help uh, from a licensed attorney, that's key, um, and also reminding them that uh, no matter your, uh, what your immigration status is, you know, you, if you have a valid claim, you have a valid claim, you know. Call my wife. She'll, she'll handle it and treat, treat you right. So the radio show, it's every, how often do you do it? We do it Monday through Friday. Every day? Every day, yes. You do every day? We do every day, yes. Wow. That's, I, thought, I, I didn't know you were doing that often. That's amazing. Good well, you saw you. how quickly 30 minutes go by. Yeah, no, 30, we, we, had a, we had a blast. I mean, before you started, hell, we've already been talking almost the 30 minutes just right here today. But um, you like it because it gives you a good reach to the listeners in Dalton, um, Chattanooga. Um, they hear your voice. They hear you. They trust you. And you said it's been, from a marketing perspective, it's been one of the best things you've done. It's been fantastic. Even my, my lovely wife now is uh, already in the process, I guess I can say this right now, of, of uh, getting... Um, her Tennessee license because of the amount of clients that we're getting from Tennessee. It's incredible. I mean, Chattanooga, I mean, it's, it's 30 minutes away from Dalton and we get a lot of calls for personal injury cases. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's a way to... Yeah, you think people don't listen to the radio anymore, but they're working in factories, this mm-hmm. particular demographic, and they have the radio playing for all of them to listen to. So we have kind of like a captive audience. Now, do you get on the radio as well? We, I've done it once or twice with him. The only problem with the radio is you're a good-looking guy. You're a good dresser. I need your face like out there. You got a great voice too, man. But you know we need you on we need you on TV too. So all these folks can see you. Maybe that's next, right, Sarah? TV. TV. You think so? Sure. Have fun. <laughs> now, in term in terms of Dalton, North Georgia, now sounds like Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, you know, y'all told me that you're 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 kind of um, intentional about being in that particular market. Can you speak a little bit about the thought process and how that's worked out? So the thought process was this is such an underserved community. Um, and we're, you know, a large portion of our clients are Spanish speaking and they kind of they tend to operate in the shadows and they're very fearful. 
Um, and we knew that there was such a need to help them in these three areas of law. And there's not a lot of attorneys available that speak Spanish and have Spanish staff that would be there for them and be able to help them in the areas that we can help them. Um, I know it really makes them feel better when we have that conversation and we fight for them saying, hey, we understand you don't have any status, but that doesn't matter here. And here's why. Yeah. In your personal injury case that you got involved in the car wreck, that doesn't matter. You're still entitled to the exact same compensation, and here's what we're going to do for you. And they need that encouragement and someone to tell them because they're, I mean, I've had the honor to represent a lot of Hispanic clients too, and they're the most loyal, greatest clients, hardworking. All they want is to get back to work, frankly. Right. Um, but they're afraid. And and they're like, are we, are we going to be treated the same? Are we treated differently? They're very worried about the system. So, I mean, I'm sure that's a lot of what y'all spend your time talking about. Oh, yeah. They're very hesitant to file a lawsuit in their personal injury case. Um, or treat <laughs> or or treat because they want to work and it's like okay now's not the time to play tough guy now's the time to make sure you get treatment for your injuries because I mean, you know and a lot of your listeners know if, if you don't treat for the injury the insurance com- company is going to say oh well you must not have been that injured if you're continuing to work and you didn't treat they they pretend like they don't know what real life looks like exactly right and that's, that's, it's a hard conversation to explain to them because they just uh, don't know if time for a doctor, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always tell them they only have one shot and now's the time to get better. Number one, because it's for your health, which is the most important thing. But if you wait six months, a year and doesn't get better, like you've kind of missed your opportunity. So that's a lot of what I spend time with my, with my Hispanic clients is, is kind of walking them through that. Um, so, so good for y'all that that becomes, I mean, niche is a wrong word, but you're serving a community that really needs it. And I imagine that y'all are kind of known very well amongst that community, which is great. Yeah, it's it's been great. And we've seen clients come full circle where they start off with me on a personal injury case. We get a great result for them. And now they have the money to sponsor their parents to come to the United States. And we get videos of, you know, our client hugging her mom's neck. She hasn't seen her in a decade. So I feel like a jackass. And I'll tell you why. Because, because... Oftentimes on this podcast with folks like you, Sarah, that do this work, we talk about how rewarding it feels to get a good result and get a client money and they can do whatever with it. And I give the example that, you know, my client took the money and bought a pool, put a pool in and sent me this picture like, oh, I got my pool. And now I hear you say that they're spending the money to go sponsor their family members to come over here. I'm like... God, that pool feels a little superficial. <laughs> right? But I mean, it, it is. It's, it's humbling to see the, the change that you make, especially if they're first-generation immigrants or even for their children, who now they can pay for their children to go to college. And that's a game-changer for immigrants. So it's really awesome. Or it opens the door for home ownership for them. So it's really exciting to see what, what they do with it. And they're so grateful. Yeah. Alex, you were telling me about it took you a little bit to get your thinking to to do your 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 messages to your clients and your clients in English as well and not just in Spanish. And and why is that? Uh, well, I spend ninety percent of my day speaking in either Spanish or Portuguese. <laughs> so you know, it, it it takes me a minute um, to to readjust. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of the, the, the challenges that we have. I mean, I, I love to be able to, to help members of, of our community. I don't care where they're from. I mean, it's, to me, it's, it's, it's um, uh, humbling, you know, to, when, when someone from 
Nigeria, Senegal, or someone from the Arab community, you know, they come to me and they said, look, you know, I heard about you. I mean, I need to help me. I got this this person detained or I, I want to bring my, my, my mother. I mean, it's 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 huge. I mean, this is uh, the, 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 lo the logic behind immigration is family reunification. And there is nothing more powerful than that. I know. I know from my own experience when I came to this country in, in 1999, I I couldn't go back to my country for, for seven years because I had to wait. And I mean, I didn't see my parents for seven years. I remember missing them. And I, I know what it's like to be away from, from your family that you love, you grew up with them, you know, and and it's like, you can't just go and visit. You have to wait. And uh, I mean, it's, it's beautiful when you're able to tell one of your clients, you know, um, look, you know, you. You can not only you can sponsor them, you know, you can you know you can go visit, you know, go back home. It's, it's just that's job satis satisfaction, like to the nth degree, right? Um, and then with the with the speaking English to, to to the potential clients, you know, the the younger generation are speaking English, right? 18, 19, 20, and they're making decisions in the household, yes. and they're educating their parents about what their options are. So I think y'all very smartly realize that that's people who we got to speak to as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and you'll see children as young as 12 to 15 translating for their parents and making decisions. It's it's crazy how quickly they have to grow up and make those decisions. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're lucky to have you all to kind of help them through it. So, Sarah, your firm, talk a little about how you have it set up to allow you to do all these things, um, your staff and your offices and kind of what's on the horizon for you. Yeah, well, I mean, the way that I learned early on in starting my firm is that I wanted to hire people that were more experienced than me and what they do. So I have a main a paralegal that runs my pre-litigation department. Um, she's got 15 years of experience. Um, she does a great job managing cases. She's bilingual, which is a must. And then she has legal assistants under her that assist. And then I have a a litigation paralegal that has over 20 years of experience doing a little bit of everything, but mainly personal injury. And she's great. It's, it's been awesome to have, you know, kind of my, my two cornerstone staff, that's what they call them, my cornerstones, that they bring a different perspective and, and they're able to catch things that I might not always do. And it's great to have people you can rely on and delegate. Because you're unique in the fact that you're handling these things like soup to nuts, right? Like we talk about real lawyers sometimes, you know, <laughs> and then that's you. But you're also able to do the intake and do all, you know, all the all the stuff on the front end. So, um, I mean, is that intentional that you, you feel like you fit in all those different areas? I think that was very intentional. I knew I wanted to do personal injury um, in law school. So I worked for a personal injury plaintiff firm. Did that for almost two years and then switched to insurance defense. I did insurance defense for a little over four years and then started my own firm for plaintiff work. So it's been nice and it's been a really good marketing tool to be able to say, hey, I work for the insurance companies. I know how they tick. Um, you know, we I handled personal market claims all the way up to, you know, defending large corporate defendants and clients love to hear that. So Bethany Schneider, who y'all know was on this podcast last month or so, and she was talking about just being the female litigator and some of the challenges that come with it, quite frankly, but also some of the positives that she's able to do at trial to really connect with some witnesses, connect with jurors. What is your perspective on, on being a female in this line of business? Right. I think for female plaintiff personal injury attorneys are few and far between, but ones that litigate are even fewer. And I see it as a superpower. 
So if my male opposing counsel wants to underestimate me, that's great because we'll eat you alive. That's cool. <laughs> but it also gives me the superpower of being able to connect with my clients and with a jury of seeing the mother perspective, of seeing the female perspective, of being able to evoke that compassion and empathy and just nurture caregiver that I think is something that kind of women are just born with. So I can connect with my clients. I can connect with my, with the mothers of minor children that have been seriously injured and say, Hey, I'm a mama bear too. And this mama bear is going to work for your baby. She's and, in good hands. And you've, you've seen her in action, huh, Alex? She's, what she's saying is right. Well, absolutely. And, and how seamless it is, right? That we all know one of the ways of, of getting clients is through cross-selling. Once a client has been under Sarah or which has been has retained Sarah is an easy sell, right? They she just had to tell them, look, Alex is your guy for your immigration cases. Is I don't need to sell anything. It's just they they trust her and therefore they trust me. You know, right. part of the family, right? Exactly. And it's so rewarding to work with like the young female immigrants or even just young females that are kind of floundering in life. I just love connecting with them and be like, okay, you're mine now. Like, this is what we're going to do. So that's been the cool part of mixing personal injury and criminal. I'm very selective about criminal, but it's so I, I, um, I've handled one quasi criminal case in my life and it was my, was doing defense work and I was representing a retail shop and one of their, um, employees, it, it was, a, a like a false imprisonment type deal. And he got, it wasn't even really a criminal charge. It was just some sort of, a, he had to appear in front of a judge where the judge said, now the, the result of this could be, you know, a punishment of jail. I'm like, oh my God, I, I, don't, I don't have the chops to handle a criminal result. Um, I like dealing with my civil cases, but how do you distinguish in your mind, like your criminal clients, if you far between ones that you work on and then a civil case? Is it you just kind of know how to do both? Um, it gives you different rush to do different kinds of, type of cases or what? Well, in law school, I was itching for real jury experience. I wanted to try my own cases because I had done mock trial for like five years at that point. So I actually interned with the solicitor's office and the DA's office where under the Third Year Practice Act, I got to try cases. And I actually got three jury trials under my belt in my third year, which was so much fun and so awesome. awesome. Um, so I had some criminal experience and you know, when you, when I opened my law firm that first year, it was, we're going to do whatever it takes. Yep. We're keeping these doors open because we started in January of 2020. Two months later, COVID happened. My hands in the air, same day, January, 2020. If you can, if you can, as we have fortunately done survive through that, like, what, what else is going to be a problem? Right. And I feel like it, it almost kind of helped my practice because I knew how to litigate and the insurance companies started acting, acting up and not mm -hmm. wanting to pay claims because they knew courts weren't going to be open for who knows how long. Um, so I had a lot of colleagues referring me cases like, oh my God, Sarah, like, can you try it? Like, can you follow suit on this and see if we can get some movement? So it was kind of a blessing in disguise because it really jump-started my litigation department. And one of the, all, those, all those things we learned in COVID was dealing with like virtual stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I know y'all have talked about hiring employees that are virtual. And, and you, Alex, have a office out of the country in Peru. So there's, there's different ways of managing that. But speak, either one of y'all, just about the concept of hiring, 
having virtual employees, having offices that you can't be at every day and kind of what comes with that? Well, I think we've kind of taken on the view of extreme leadership. Um, we don't have staffing issues. We have leadership problems. So as long as they have clear guidelines and standard operating procedures to follow, we're not going to have issues. And it doesn't matter whether they're in the office or virtual. If they don't have good leadership and they don't, you know, if we can't measure it, we can't manage it. So it's just been a matter of getting very organized and, and giving clear leadership and guidance on what they're supposed to be doing. You mentioned about measuring it. You hear people talk about KPI, key performance indicators. Mm-hmm. Is that something that y'all think is important? To if, if you can, if you can't measure it, you don't know if it's happening or not. How do you look at that? Absolutely. Um, I think if if you don't have a system in place to manage it, and you don't have those key conversations with your um, employees about okay, this is what we talked about. This is what your caseload capacity is. These are the expectations. Why aren't you hitting this quota? Why aren't this num- Why isn't this number of demands going out? Why did it take so long after the client ended treatment for us to get these records and this demand out? If they're not able to meet those deadlines and requirements, then we know there's a problem. How do y'all think y'all learn those management skills? Because law school doesn't teach it to you. Um, and y'all haven't been doing this that long. Y'all are pretty young. So how do you, how do you learn that? Well, she's young. I'm not. Let's just get that clear. <laughs> no, we've, I mean, we've read a lot of books. Yep. Alex has a lot of entrepreneurial experience. Um, and I'm kind of a nerd. Like, we love, I love to listen to podcasts. I love to read the business books. Um, and I have recently hired a business coach to kind of help us level up everything. Um, so it's been really cool to to kind of explore the business side of things now that we've got, you know, our client base stacked up. I love it. Other than Sports and Torts, which should be everybody's favorite podcast, um, give me some recommendations. People listening, other podcasts you listen to, other books that you've read that you found helpful. Right. Um, Fireproof is a great book. Um, Traction, even Wired That Way, um, where it's just talking about the four main personalities and how different people communicate with each other. And you can even take personality uh, quizzes for everyone in your firm and learn how everyone communicates. Because I mean, let's face it, a lot of us spend a lot more time with our coworkers and our employees than we do with our own families. So it kind of, it's kind of like you're, you know, we make the jokes about work wife or work husband. If you don't know how to communicate with that person and connect with that person, you're going to have constant turnover. You're going to have constant turmoil in the office. So learning how to translate, you know, good communication skills and connecting with your staff, that's really important. Agreed with all that and well said. And the business coach concept is gaining a lot of traction recently. You hear a lot more people that are doing that. It used to be like, oh, I don't need that. But then you're like, well, look, the top athletes in the world all have coaches, even at the highest level. So I don't know if you've started working with one yet, but if you haven't, what are your expectations about what you're going to get out of that? So I have, um, and it's, it's really what you put into it. And do I have time to do business coaching? No. But if I don't make the time, I will never have the time and we're never going to level up. So I kind of had to, you know, give myself that come to Jesus talk and say, it's time to do it. I think the word I think about a lot of times with that is like accountability. Someone that holds you accountable, forces you to do things. And if you don't, someone that says you didn't do it. And you ha- you almost need that person that holds your feet to the fire, so to speak, right? 
Right. And it's also given me a community of other lawyers that own their own practices and they all have the same problems. And they all have, and a lot of them, we're not the only ones that encounter issues with fine tuning intake process or client communication or managing your staff. They've all encountered it at different points in their field and managing their own firms and they have solutions and answers. So it's been really great to have someone to go to and say, hey, how, do you, how did you handle this issue and get 20 different ideas? That's great. Now, Alex, in terms of your setup, I mentioned we were at Dalton this morning. You've got a presence in New York City. You've got your office in Peru. Um, you've got a general manager. You've got a marketing director. You've got all sorts of cool stuff. So talk a little bit about you know, how your law firm is structured. Well, um, this country is going through a uh, crisis right now with uh, one million plus uh, asylum uh, applications. So it's, it's, it's worldwide. I mean... Peru has been instrumental. We've we've been able to get a lot of cases um, of of applicants, uh, asylees from South America, and and a lot of people don't know this, but Peru is a thriving economy, and they you know a lot of people from Venezuela, Brazil, Argentina, they go to Peru and then they take off to uh, for the U.S. So we've been very lucky. Um, I call it luck uh, because um, we never we could never anticipate that you know we were going to have this many people. You know, coming into the U.S., but you know, I mean, it it, it happened, and um, you know. so so. What's the the usual case? A, a citizen of Peru wants to come to America and files paperwork, and then is your firm helping them through the process, or what? Like, what is? Well, your- it, it varies, right? I mean, if 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 we're referring to a, a, a asylum seeker, then you know, we we enter the case uh, when they go through the the CFI or the credible fear interview with the asylum officer. Uh, if that decision is positive, then we file the, uh, the bond motion and we get them out and we work on, on, the, on the asylum, which can take you know, years for a judge to, um, for him to make a determination. But um, uh, normally what happens is uh, people from, from uh, other countries trying to adjust status, you know, and in, in a lot of cases we have uh, immediate relatives living in this country. I mean, they just, people are just clueless, you know, they've been here for six months, you know, on a, on a B1, B2, on a, on a tourist visa, and they're like, oh my gosh, what are my options? Oh, by the way, I, I have an, an uncle who is a U.S. citizen who lives in California. I mean, is, is that something that could help me? Yes, he could. Absolutely. Uh, for example, someone who's been here for a few months and uh, is uh, a, um, a victim of a, a, a qualifying offense under immigration law, right? Robbery, for example, right? Or uh, aggravated assault, you know? You qualify for a, for a uh, U visa. You know, a fiancé of a U.S. citizen or green card holder who comes to this country but is uh, verbally or, or uh, physically abused by, by his or her partner, VAWA. You know, so there are options for, for everybody, right? So that's how we... Um, that's how we uh, uh, present the case, and you know, if you properly assess the case, I mean, you realize that they have options. You told me an interesting story too about a, um, a billboard that you have in in uh, Peru, right? And someone who saw that and who has, well, you can tell the story. I love yes, it. Yes, 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 absolutely. But actually, uh, Sarah is the one who who took the call. Uh, the call, you know, someone who who on has a Saturday. A, a, on a Saturday, right? <laughs> Uh, a, a, a client who said, look, I mean, I, I actually live in Woodstock and I have a business in Lima and my house is next to your office in, in Lima. 
And now we handle all of his company and business and oh my God. So you use the word luck and it's not luck. I mean, it's not luck that you have the foresight to set up a business like that and have, you know, put yourself out there with billboards and marketing efforts and people were notice it. And then you were like, or y'all were like the perfect candidate for this guy. He's probably like, oh my God, this could not be any better. And whatever legal issues he might ever have, like y'all are it, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, right. pretty, it's pretty amazing. And I mean, I think we're, we're very blessed to be able to, mm-hmm. to be part of this profession, you know, and, and help, help people. I mean, it's, it's great. We, we discussed too before about how competition seems to be like an all time high, at least Sarah, with the cases we're working on, you know, personal injury stuff. Um, Absolutely. You know, billboards are everywhere. Radios are everywhere. Um, how do y'all view like that and, and how to separate yourself from everybody else? Well, everybody thinks they can work a personal injury case until they get into it and they're getting lowball offers because they get Googled by the insurance company and it turns out they only do probate, right? <laughs> so, um, and the thing is, you don't know what you don't know. So, and that's okay. Call me if you've messed up a personal injury case, I'll help you out. Right. Um, but I think it's just that boutique feel, connecting with a client's and making sure they feel supported and letting them know, hey, I really do have the tools to help you recover um, and get the best possible result on your personal injury case. I work for the insurance company. I've done it on for the plaintiff side now. That's who you want on your side. You feel the same way? I feel the same way. Um, for immigration, I don't know. I mean, I, we, we get we get an average of 20 calls for immigration attorneys. Immigration is... is no, but they don't sell yourself short. They they love the fact that he's an immigrant and he is a native Spanish speaker. That is a game changer. When a client, you know, when you think about it, if you're in another country and no one speaks your language, everything feels foreign, even the system, you don't understand how it works. And then you meet someone that is that speaks your language and understands because they've been in your shoes as an immigrant. It makes all the difference in the world. Game changer is exactly right. I mean, they want that comfort that you can provide them right from the jump. Speaking Spanish, speaking Portuguese, telling your story. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, and he has he went to law school in Peru. So he understands the Latin American legal system. And he can explain the differences between what you would expect to see in Latin America and what happens here in America. Let's touch on that for a minute. The... 30,000 foot view difference between the way that the civil justice system and the uh, just legal system works in Peru versus here? Well, it's very difficult to corrupt 12 jurors <laughs> here, Here, right? Um, in the, in, in, there, there's a, in, there's a saying in, 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 not just in Peru, but in Latin America, right? There is no justice in Latin America because all the power is, is vested in, in a judge, right? And there, they're easy to corrupt. Unfortunately, that's the reality in Latin America. That's why they still remain as uh, developing nations. Here, I mean, uh, a courtroom is sacred. You know, uh, we are offices of the court, and I mean, uh, we all know as attorneys, it's, it's not easy to become an attorney. Um, I know it wasn't for me, um, and uh, the the fact that um, the fact that uh, that the system um, is is not is not easy to. Um, to, to, to buy jurors. I mean, that just, that just doesn't happen. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's, I've never heard it. It's, it's very sacred. 
So when Sarah and I stand up in front of a jury in closing arguments and say something to the extent that, you know, this is the best, you know, jury system in the world, it's the best system to, to determine a right oh, and a wrong. absolutely um, the best system. You would say, that is, that is a correct statement you are saying to these jurors. Absolutely. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Yeah. And, and there is no better um, leveler than a, than a juror in a jury system that looks at, you know, a Hispanic client that might not have a, that might be documented and looks at the biggest corporation and they are instructed by the law to treat them equal. Um, both sides stand up when the jurors walk in and both sides stand up when the jurors leave. So it's a pretty, pretty powerful thing when you really stop to think about it. And y'all are helping me kind of stop thinking about it a little bit today. So very good. All right. So your kids, one in three, other than painting your nails, this beautiful color that I'm <laughs> seeing across the way, uh, what kind of stuff are they into? I mean, I'm trying, my kids are a little older now. So I remember one in three being such fun ages. Um, gloat on your kids for a little bit. we got a few more minutes left. Yeah, Corey is our wild card. She looks just like Alex, but she is so social. She's such a a social butterfly, but they are both firecrackers. Corey actually lawyered me for the first time last week. How'd it go? She won. Um, (laughs) I was trying to get her to come back inside, and she just barely stepped inside the threshold of the front door and was holding onto the frame of the door, and she said, Mommy, I am inside. (laughs) It's like, you're right. Please come inside so I can shut the door. Yes, you must define these terms much more yes. specific. And more I bet specific. She's, got, she's got daddy wrapped around her finger, doesn't she? Yes. Oh, yes. Daddy does not tell her yes. no. Yes. She wants to go shopping every weekend and I can't say no. Well you're out number three to one, man. The girl the girls are gonna, you know. So. I am outnumbered and I, I give up. Yep. So in terms of you know, we do a little bit of sports on this on these um, on this podcast, and we were talking earlier, you are a Georgia Bulldog fan now, you're a Braves fan now. Absolutely. Feels good, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah. We, we're we we're the champions, period. Period. How about you? you what, what, what is your sports allegiance? Same. I was born and raised in Georgia, so we're UGA fans and Braves fans all the way. It's a good time. It's a good time to be alive with those, those, uh, those two teams. So. Um, yeah. What else can you say about that, right? What else can you say? How about the, the Peru national sports? Is it mostly soccer? It is soccer, yes. Yes, it is improving. <laughs> it's a work in progress. No, it's so funny. Like when you're watching the soccer game and like some, they barely get tapped and then they're like throw themselves on the ground. They're rolling around trying to get the red card thrown. I'm like, seriously? Like we play football here. What? <laughs> It's true. I mean, the flopping in soccer is a big turnoff for a lot of mm-hmm. um, a lot of Americans that watch it. I'm not a huge soccer fan. I enjoyed watching the World Cup, uh, but yeah, the flopping, I just, I just can't, I, I just can't get on board with. Yes. I'm gonna have to agree. No. I mean, yeah. when you're raised in the South and you like trip and fall, and your mom's like, rub some dirt on it. It's okay. Yeah. Like you can't watch grown men playing soccer, yeah. rolling yeah. around like that. Well, this was great, guys. I'm, I'm, I really appreciate having the time to do this. Uh, thank you for the invitation on the radio show this morning. I think oh, we've thank had, you for coming. We've had a whole day kind of back and forth chatting with each other. It's, yes, and now we're going to go have lunch. Now we're going to go have lunch. Yes, so it's all, it's all very good. Well, um, let people know where to find you in terms of y'all different, y'all different, ugh, y'all's different firms, content information, email addresses, locations. You guys can serve so many needs, so let's hear it. So we have two locations, Dalton, Georgia at 104 South Pence Street, and we're in Woodstock, Georgia at 313 Creekstone Ridge. My website is S, 
as in Sarah, <laughs> CornejoLaw.com. And we share the same locations. Uh, my uh, website is CornejoLawFirm.com or in Spanish, GrupoLegalCornejo.com. There you go. I love it. All right. Well, guys, thank you all so much for coming here today. I know people are going to enjoy this. New, some new stuff on the podcast. You know, we got to get some, some good new topics on there, which we did today. So thank you all very much. Thank you for having us. And um, all you all for listening out there, we appreciate it. If you enjoyed this, like I know you did, leave a comment, do a like, do a review. You were mentioning your Google reviews. You do a good job Google reviews, right? Yes, we do. So we'll take another minute or two on that because Nick Schneider, who I think you all also know, was on podcast a little while ago. And we we're talking about Google reviews and like trying to figure out the secret sauce to it. What's the, what's the answer? Go ahead. You want to go first? But for me, it's being, well, I, I, I'm full candor here, right? full disclosure, right? I, I was very upset about one bad review. And, uh, you know, sometimes you get so busy with your work and you, you deliver for your clients consistently. And, but they, and you, know, you see one bad review that you're not happy with, you know? And, you know, it really bothered me. I was like, wait a second, what's happening? So I told my staff, listen, I mean, I think we need to contact our clients and let them know how they feel about us. So this past month, we got... 100 plus five star reviews. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is that from ca- calling them and asking or just. Yeah, we just, we just sent them a link and said, tell us how you feel. You know, I mean, did we do a good job for you? You know, because I want to, you know, I, I I take it very personal. You know, I, I mean, this is what this is what I do for a living. This is how I, I feed my kids. To me, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's my livelihood. I want to I want to know. I want to improve all the time. And I mean, I mean, I. I, I know I was very pleased with the results. I mean, I told Sarah about it. Mm-hmm. She did the same thing and she got like 50. I don't know how many you got. Like Right. Well, also, even if we just do a consult and I feel like I really connected with the PC, but they, you know, they didn't retain for various reasons or we ended up rejecting the case, they still appreciate the time you took out to speak with them. So I even asked them at that point, hey, if, if mm-hmm. you know, if you don't mind, would you mind leaving me a review about your experience today? I love how you're putting it. Tell us how you feel. Tell us about your experience. It's not, you know, give us a five-star review because we're awesome. People don't people don't like that messaging. So it's a, I, what I'm hearing y'all say is it's all about kind of how you deliver it to them. Absolutely. And obviously don't ask someone that's upset. You know, if you, if you know that you have a connection and they're like, oh, my God, you're so sweet. Thank you. Then I'm like, oh, yeah, can you just, you know, tell us how you feel. The other riddle yeah. we're trying to figure out is can someone leave you a Google review sitting here in this office? Yes. So we have an iPad where we say, hey, you got this nice big check here. You mind giving me a review uh, before, you know, I hand it to you? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the way that we have gone about it. And I think it's a totally fair way to go about it. I've heard at one point Google was getting a little funky about not allowing reviews to come from the same network that the mm-hmm. place you're reviewing is sitting on. I don't know. I mean, Google, they change their rules every week. It seems like. Right. We haven't had that issue. Cool. Well, very good. Well, maybe someone will listen to this and they'll say, we're going to give Josh's podcast a review. Right. You know, and give y'all a review while we're at it. So anyway, all right. Uh, we'll look. Everybody, thank y'all for listening. Find old episodes at sportsdorts.com, anywhere on Apple, anywhere on Spotify, Google, all that stuff. And uh, until next time, keep chopping.